Slick V on the track. God is calling me. I'm in a zone. I gotta see my doctor. God is calling me. God me. What's up, y'all? You're listening to the Extra Point College Football Podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Carnes, joined as always by my co-host, Daniel Hammett. Another crazy week in college football. Uh, I was told this would be the year of the favorites, and, I mean, there have just been upsets every week. I don't know if there is a good team outside of, like, the top four. (laughs) Like, does anyone want to be a top ten team? It doesn't seem like it. Yeah, it's looking very, very much like – Regular college football in the sense that chaos ensues, but since most of these are conference-only schedules, we're largely getting chaos every week, it seems like, and which way is up, you know? We don't know which way to pick some of these, and, um, you know, I mean, I feel like I know so much about college football, and the more you know, sometimes the less you know. So, you know, how much does, you know, uh, well, and we'll get into it, but like there's a home field advantage for some and then some there's nothing, which that happens regularly, but in the COVID era, it was supposed to kind of be neutral for everybody and it has not been thus far. So we'll definitely get into some of that, but yeah, definitely fun to watch. I'm, I guess my thing I'm happiest about is that Houston finally got a game in. So finally, there's that about time, and they won. They took out some frustration, and they won forty nine to thirty one over Tulane on Thursday night. So, you know, kudos to Houston, and um, you know maybe they'll stay undefeated. Maybe <laughs> we'll see. Maybe they'll go two and zero, finish the year two and zero. Um, well, as far as picks go, man, I went four and three. He went three and four. A decent week. Poor. Poor Kyle went one and six. <laughs> oh, Kyle. I'm sorry, man. That was just – yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, we, we all trust Florida, and we'll, we'll save that. We'll, 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 save, we'll save Florida A&M. But the good news is for me is I'm only a game back now in our overall picks. Two. I don't know how you ca- – I mean, you're 18 and 16. I'm 16 and 18. So, so two games back. Yeah. Yeah, that's how math works. Uh, so – yeah, I, I don't know what I was doing. But it's been, like, slowly each week because, I mean, I had – you had a really hot start. I mean, you went five and two week one. That's, like, to get three games above 500 right there, that's huge. I went four and big. three. And then the next week, you went three and three. And I went two and four. So, I got really behind the eight ball. Followed it up with a three and four week, and you went four and three. So, you, you just stayed ahead, you know, ahead of 500. In the past two weeks, I've gone four and three, and you've gone three and four. So, just catching you one game at a time. That's all it takes. You know, just, just one step at a time. Worry about the next game. We're not looking ahead to our other just opponents. Going 1-0 each week in each game. <laughs> that's right. You we're, know, that's all we're going to do. Whatever coach speak we got to say. But, no, we'll I'm not looking back. ahead to week eight. I'm just looking at right. week seven. That's yeah. all I'm looking at. <laughs> there's it. some weeks on here, man, I feel fantastic about the slate. And then there's some, I'm like, I don't know what to pick. So Let me, let me tell you <clears> something. Week seven is the hardest week there is to pick. You know, I'm going to say for week eight, that's also the hardest week it is to pick. So, yeah. just like Gus <laughs> talking about Gus Malzahn and Kirby going back and forth. Hey, Auburn's the most talented first, you know, team in the SEC. Oh, Georgia's right. the most talented team in the SEC. Oh, my gosh. Oh, gosh. Well, <clears throat> man, let's get into it. Let's talk, let's talk winners first. You know, winners deserve to be praised, and Clemson deserves a lot of praise for what they did on Saturday. Uh, you know, you and Kyle – taking the canes against the spread 
And one of the things that I mentioned did come to fruition, but it was much more than that. I think that Clemson's defensive line just dominated that defensive – or, excuse me, the offensive line of Miami. And the other thing that won, though, was skill players, man. Clemson's DB is just locked down Miami's receivers. And Derek King had this nowhere to throw the ball all night. Yeah. This game, uh, getting eyes on it, you know, it was one of these where <clears throat> it looked difficult for Miami to just get a first down. I feel like not only were they, you know, in third and long, but they were in third and very long most of the night, it seemed like. They were losing on first and second down regularly. And then, I mean, there was a lot, whether it be a penalty or, you know, whatever, and they'd be, you know, third and 13, third and 14. And, you know, Derek King, the few times they looked successful is him getting out of the pocket and kind of making something happen. Um, that offensive line, like you said, it couldn't be, it couldn't be covered up for, for long, especially with just this talented defense. You know, Clemson's one of these where they've recruited well, especially relative to their competition, the regular competition that they play. So they've got competent players and stars at every level of the defense, whether they're young or a veteran. So, you know, it's just one of these things where they can come at you in waves and they can match whatever you do well. They can adjust to that defensively. So that's something that I noticed was they can play a game plan specific to you based on their personnel. They can go if you if you go heavy, they'll go heavy. If you're spreading them out, they can be spread out. If you're going over the middle, dink and dunk, they can play zone. You know, they can do it all. So um, very impressed with the Tigers, specifically defensively. We know what they are on offense. 42 right. points doesn't surprise me or anything, them doing that to anybody, first of all, anybody. Second of all, it's Miami. So I think that they were content with taking a comfortable approach offensively, running the ball. ETN looked great as usual. And then, yeah, defensively, just suffocating. They just decided, you know, you're not going to score, you know, regularly. The fact that, you know, because when Miami has only had 10 points and they got to 17, I was actually shocked and said, oh, wow, I didn't see that last score. What happened? And so, you know, I'm thinking this this might have a little little something for them. But, yeah, no, still, you, you're on the right side of that one for sure. I mean, Miami, 121 passing yards. 89 rushing yards, 210 total yards. They just got locked down. And the thing is, I don't think Miami's bad. I think Miami's still a really good team. This doesn't change my opinion of Miami. All this did for me was it said, oh, yeah, Clemson's Clemson's the best team in the country. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And and the gap between – and I think there's a gap between one and two. You and I were talking about it before we got on. I think there's a gap between Clemson and then Alabama and Georgia right now. Yeah, this stage in the season is tough because it's – you know, you can kind of take a, a calibration or, you know, a temperature check at each point in the season. Beginning of the season, I really felt like it was Alabama, but obviously we'll get to them in a minute defensively. I'm not sure. I feel like Clemson is probably the most complete team in the nation. So um, when you're most complete and you maybe have the Heisman front runner and maybe the second or third Heisman guy in your backfield, that's, you know, that's impressive. And they've been there before. They've got championship DNA five stars all over the field. So, you know what? I don't see anybody slowing this Clemson train down uh, the rest of this season, in the regular season at least. Yeah, not right now. Like where I think you know, we, we picked a fun upset saying Pitt's going to beat Clemson. 
Not right now. They're not <laughs> like in, and I'd say the same for, for Notre Dame too. I just don't think they're, they're on that level, but let's stay in the ACC. We had another ranked matchup in the ACC on Saturday. It was one of the noon games, North Carolina hosted Virginia tech. And you know, this line got all the way down to three before kickoff, North Carolina only a three point favorite. You and I definitely, I mean, we both put Virginia Tech just saying, hey, we don't really trust either team, so I'll take some points <laughs> if you're giving them to me. And, hey, Carolina woke up on offense. Oh, yeah, they did. And, you know, this game, the way it kind of started out, Carolina just got up early, which they've been a slow starter so far. So this was very encouraging to see if you're a Carolina fan or you're someone who's been picking a game, you know, for them. So seeing them get up, and, I mean, at halftime it was 35-14, and I know, Jacob, you mentioned you got eyes on some other games at that point. And we were talking later in the day, and you're like, oh, yeah, Carolina covered. I was like, did they? Because I didn't see the final. And you're like, oh, they were up big at halftime. I'm like, no, 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 It got to be close towards the end. Yeah, Virginia Tech came storming back, uh, put some drives together, um, had a couple big play touchdowns. Um, so that was a very, you know, impressive for them. They brought it to at the last time I had eyes on it was forty-two to thirty-seven, but obviously final fifty-six to forty-five. So Carolina putting up that that big of a showdown, it makes me feel better about their best side of the ball. So like, do I have questions about their defense? Yes, but did we already have questions about their defense? Yes, I had more concerning questions about their offense because that's what we felt like we knew. We knew that their offense was supposed to be good. Right, and they finally gave us that feeling on, on Saturday. So good for them, you know. Virginia Tech looks like they got form. We'll have to see how the rest of this shakes out. Yards per play, Carolina averaged nine point nine, <laughs> and like, you know, I have some major concerns about Virginia Tech's defense after watching that performance. But I'm, I'm stuck in the middle, saying, is Carolina's offense just this good? And they finally woke up. Or should I have some major concerns about Virginia Tech's defense? We've seen what Carolina did against other teams that made us question their offense. So I'm still left, I think, with more questions about both teams. And I look up at the rankings and I see North Carolina at number five. <laughs> I'm just like – Now, that's, that's it, ridiculous. That is ridiculous. Like, is North Carolina really the fifth best team in the country? But the thing is, all these teams are losing games. And Carolina is just trucking along, are, winning football games. Well, here's one thing I'll say, all right? This is my point for Carolina right now, and I'll kind of ride it out here the next couple weeks. Um, Their first game, they started slow against Syracuse and kind of got their sea legs under them and ended up winning, what was it, 31-6. to So they kind of got it together. Then they had a month off. And then they had another slow start against Boston College. So – right. You know, they kind of figured it out. Now, they didn't figure it out in the sense that they just blew them out late or anything like that, but they hung in there. This was their first back-to-back game. So I want to see if that's a trend of they were just rusty and needed time together on the field. So let's take a, take a look at them next week after that game, and if they put another good offensive performance out there, maybe that was it. Maybe they really just needed to get some games under their belt and back-to-back to – uh I feel comfortable out there. Yeah, that could be it. I'm with you. Um, but impressive showing from Sam Howell, Mac Brown, the North Carolina Tar Heels. Uh, 
any other ACC games you wanted to hit? I mean, NC State looks good. They're three and one. Yeah, I mean, just mentioning it. I mean, NC State definitely a little bit better than we may have realized at the beginning of the year. Um, they haven't beaten any great teams necessarily just yet, but at that same token, I mean, Pitt, we're a Pitt podcast. They beat them last week, taking care of Virginia like they did. We know that they're a well-coached team. So 38 to 21, it looks like NC State's offense is awake. And so, hey, you know, if nothing else, they're going to be a fun team to watch the rest of the year. And you know who NC State doesn't play? Clemson or Notre Dame. Both of them. Yep. So to be three and one at this point, knowing that you don't have to play either of those teams, it's got to be a good feeling for NC State. Yeah, I think so. I think that's a good point. I didn't think about that when I was looking through it, but they're. But I think the solidifying quarterback position. You know, sometimes too much is made of quarterback play, but just knowing you've got your guy. Um, can usually ease a lot of your worries because you're not looking over your shoulder. The offensive scheme doesn't change anymore if the one guy's out there. And then you can rotate everybody else and everybody's everybody's confidence takes a, just a little step up. You don't have to – it doesn't make you great necessarily. It might, um, but you at least have some stability there and everybody's more comfortable and can kind of play within themselves. Um, so they're really starting to have an identity and it's it's – we'll see. Teams with identities are dangerous in college football. That's one thing I know. So um, teams without identities, it's the opposite. They can be beaten week in, week out. So uh, know who you are or be at the mercy of who your opponent is. Well, and I think one team that fits that mold of not knowing who they are, and this is the last ACC thing I'll mention, Louisville. Yeah. I mean, and half out to Georgia Tech. They're what, two and two now? Two and two with wins oh. over Louisville and Florida State. What was their over-under? Do you remember? Uh, I think before COVID stuff, it was three and a half, and I think it dropped to two and a half with ACC. So I had – oh, with ACC. So it was at three. I, like, I wonder if they – with ACC only, I wonder if that – I don't know what to drop to. At three, I mean, they're they're almost there through right. four games. So, I mean, good for Georgia Tech. Big win on Friday night over a team that you and I thought was going to be pretty good this year. I don't know if <laughs> I don't know if we were off on that with Louisville, but still, big win for Georgia Tech. Getting a big win at home like that really important for Jeff Collins building that program moving forward, build that confidence. And and uh, Jeff Sims are good in the game. Well, when you're not turning the ball over and you're able to finish drives and that kind of thing, I think I think you're going to see a lot of this from Georgia Tech where they're going to raise up and look really good against some teams that you'd be surprised for them to look good against. And then, like, they'll lose to Syracuse by double digits like last week. So, you know, it's one of these things. They're going to have to take the growing pains this year. But in a year like this, might as well take it this year and then maybe next year when things are a little bit more normal, you've got – a seasoned sophomore quarterback who's making plays and turning the ball over a lot less and a talented roster. And maybe they're going to be able to recruit based on some of these players that they already have. People want to go play with a Jeff Sims or a Jameer Gibbs. So yeah, fun times on the flats Friday night on the flat. So it was fun game for sure. All right, let's talk about it. We have, a lot to talk about <laughs> with the SEC. 
because so much happened. Uh, let's let's start with the noon game. Texas A&M hosts Florida. We all picked Florida on the podcast, but we did raise the red flag of, I don't know why this line is at six and a half. <laughs> what does right. Vegas see in this game? Like this seems to me like a slam dunk pick at six and a half. And Vegas knew. Vegas saw something. Vegas tends to know these things. Uh, they're not in the business of losing money. Um, but I can't be happier being wrong than I am right here. I'm so glad that I was wrong with this pick. Um, I, you know, this this was a, a good game back and forth. Florida really couldn't stop the run uh, specifically for Texas A&M. And they couldn't uh, and, run the ball. And they, they couldn't run the ball. So those are their two keys. Now, Florida can throw it all over the yard, and Kyle Pitts is a problem. But once A&M kind of bracketed him, they had to go to these other guys. Now, Kendarius Tony had a good game. Um, you know, and they, they, they made their way down the field. Kyle Trask is a, you know, a, a great quarterback. He's playing great this year, especially within the system. But until they kind of get him some, some help on the running game, um, you know, I don't know. But, again, we're, we're talking about a three-point loss, so they didn't get blown out or anything like this. It just their problem, their kryptonite, that defense came back to bite them a little sooner. And Kellen Mond played better than we've seen. So is that a product of the Grantham defense where, you know, it was a little bit predictable and he's able to kind of dink and dunk and, you know, on third down he knows where the blitz is coming from, throws the ball where they're not, he gets a first down. That seemed like a regular occurrence. They made big plays when they needed to. Um but really, they just ran the ball, and they ran the ball between the tackles. And Isaiah Spiller was running over people. Um, you know, Kellen Mond had had that to roll with when he was throwing the ball. So maybe the key for their offense specifically, and specifically Kellen Mond, is we have to have a good running game for him to be successful. If their running game is stopped, you'll stop Texas A&M. But – Fortunately for A&M, Florida couldn't stop the run. And especially late in the game, even when Florida had the lead, A&M had all the confidence in the world because they knew that they could just run the ball and get back into it. So, uh, you know, kudos to A&M for, for that. Um, but, my goodness, Kyle Pitts, he's on a record pace right now for touchdowns for the year. And, uh, I mean, would is there a possibility we see a tight end in New York for – the Heisman presentation. I know that's crazy, but I'm just like. <laughs> I think honestly, while he played good on Saturday, I think you gotta have that popping off the tape game every Saturday. He had five receptions for 47 yards and a touchdown. So like, he didn't have that seven catches for 150 yards and four touchdowns. Like, and Ole Miss is making everybody look that way. <laughs> so I mean, sure. they're, they're letting everybody score points. Uh, I think. He could, like, he's someone who – he could go to New York. I mean, you saw Chase Young go last year. But, again, he's popping off of the tape every single game and just, like, cannot be stopped. I think Texas A&M did as good of a job as you can to keep him in check. Like, but with that, you allow Kadarius Katoni to have seven catches for 92 yards. Like, Malik Davis had three for 73. So, 
you start to cover up hits like that, it opens up these other playmakers to, to get the ball. I mean, to me, you said it. The story of this game is Texas A&M was 12 of 15 on third down. I mean, <laughs> you can't get up. Third and Grantham is alive and well. Uh, they could get off the field. They had zero sacks on Kellen Mond. This is the second of their three games where they've allowed over 500 yards of offense from the other team. So this defense, you said it. I, th- I mean, their offense is good enough to probably win eight games this year. But, you know, not, you know, LSU's not looking like much of a challenge right now. You got Georgia coming up in the middle of the season. Outside of that, I don't know if, you know, I think their offense is good enough to beat most of the teams on their schedule. But you let an A&M team who you're better than come up and bite you. You can't get off the field in third down, you're going to lose football games. That's why we include that with our, uh, with our XPR, with our ranking system. Third downs are important. Um, so, yeah, Florida's got to get that figured out if they want to be a contender. And I think the defense is bad enough that it will keep them from being a contender this season. Um, any other takeaways from this game? Uh, the, the crowd. I wanted to mention the crowd. Um, the crowd noise was – okay, so this was the loudest crowd we've had so far to this point. The most involved, especially for a noon kick. And you got to think they're in central time. So it was 11 a.m. kick. They were rowdy and loud, very impressive, um, so much so that Dan Mullen, extra salty after the game, says, well, our governor has made it official where we can have the stadium, so I want the swamp to be packed next week. Um, and they said, so, so we're clear. You're saying you're calling for 90,000 fans in the stands. He says, yes. He said, our governor, has I'm ready for it to happen. If did they you see do it, the, need to do it. Did you see what the university said? I didn't see the reaction to it, no. The university basically said, no way. So, it's not happening. Um, but it's funny because we've been in a COVID era so far where crowd noise has been no issue at all. And SEC is built on home and away games. Like, you have to, to go on the road in the SEC, you have to be much better than your opponent. And in this case, Florida was better. I'm not sure how much better. And the crowd was a factor. They had some penalties. They had some time where, you know, they couldn't adjust. And, uh, you know, it just was one of these things where they couldn't hear the audibles. And Florida is one of these teams that likes to move fast and have these, you know, their plays in place. So, Yeah, that, that crowd ran 27 times for 174 yards. <laughs> I know. I'm just yeah, – I'm like – <laughs> there was two or three penalties on that last drive where I saw it. So, uh, if he scored thirty-eight points, you should win the game. Straight up, Florida. Like, oh, stop yeah. Texas A and M, and you win the game. <laughs> like, you get up forty-one, you deserve to lose, in my opinion. Like, that, I, I, I just, that is what it is. I, I think after a loss, you, you take it. Don't blame the crowd. I'll say that stadium. If you're talking like if they're spread out, which every you know every stadium is like spreading everybody out. So it's not like it's twenty-one thousand in the lower level of the home side, that stadium is built straight up. They've got awnings on both sides. Both end zones are completely closed in. So stadiums like like Texas A&M has, Alabama's is very much that way. LSU's is that way. Florida's is that way, where it's just straight up, all concrete. Uh, you know, where Georgia has, like, the open end zone. Clemson has an open end zone. So I think those stadiums that are closed in, that noise can become a, a major factor, even with low crowds. So. 
Yep. I think Florida can have an effect if they if their fans showed up more loud. Um, let's move on from this game. We had a couple other big games in the SEC. I mean, 330 CBS, game of the week, Georgia hosting Tennessee. And I think this is Kirby Smart's dream because you blow out a rival in your conference that's a top 15 opponent by 23. And now you have some coaching moments going into the off week before Bama. So <laughs> you played an imperfect game. You win by 23 going away, and you have some film that you can go coach your guys up on to keep them humble going into the Bama week. Yeah, this, you know, we came into it talking about Tennessee's offensive line. You and I both know the, you know, the talent that's on the offensive line, at least the recruited talent. And to this point in the season, they played very well. They've ran the ball. You and I both said, Georgia stops the run. Whatever Tennessee does, Georgia just does a little bit better. Um, I saw someone, I believe it was Peter Burns from SEC Network, say on Twitter that Tennessee is Georgia light, basically the the light version of Georgia, the one that's, you know, it's not quite there yet. But they do have talent. They did build it on the line of scrimmage. Pruitt and Kirby are very similar in what they want to do. Um, and then obviously, you know, uh, Jim Chaney knowing about Georgia just being the offensive coordinator here for a few years so all that in, in play and I mean really Tennessee hung around uh, you know Georgia gifted in that first touchdown and then from that point I mean Georgia felt pretty good offensively you know uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is they they looked comfortable. They didn't look like they were rattled. They didn't look, you know, like they were nervous. I think that comes a lot from Stetson Bennett. I think he gives them a lot of calm, which is very important. But, I mean, the story of this game is Georgia stopped the run. It After those sacks at the end of the game, this ended up being a minus one yards rushing for Tennessee. Georgia's defense and special teams was really just too much. They ended up being able to salt this away with running the ball, um, and really their leading rusher or the, their lead back, Zamir White, didn't have a great game. Uh, they just used several backs. They all kind of carried the load together. Um, you know, Tennessee had a couple of pop plays to uh, Josh Palmer, um, those long touchdown passes that were a 36-yarder and a 27-yarder. Georgia just kind of hung around. They got stopped right before halftime, but – they just kind of outlasted them, you know. It was one of these things. And then at the end of the game when Georgia knew that they were going to be passing, they just pinned their ears back. And I think Tennessee's offensive line is a good run-blocking offensive line against teams that are either average or below average at stopping the run. And I think they struggle in pass protection. And Georgia kind of exposed that. They had a couple of strip sacks. And specifically the one that um, – Monty Rice picked up and ran for a touchdown. So uh, definitely a, a a game that it, the story is still Georgia's defense for for the this game. Well, plenty to talk about this week as far as looking ahead to Bama. But yeah, I just want to talk about Georgia. You know, I want to talk about the team that won. What jumps off the page to me looking at the box score is that eleven players caught a pass. Like the Munkin offense has been really good about you know they're still finding their footing. The, the offense is not perfect yet. We may see that this week, but they're spreading the ball around. 
uh, I mean, Kyrus Jackson has definitely come out as the great number two, if not number one, because of the way Pickens have been covered up this year. Tennessee did a great job of keeping him covered the whole game. But again, just like Auburn, it opened up Kyrus Jackson to have four receptions for 91 yards and a touchdown. So, um, yeah, I think the offense has done a really, you know, Munkin's done a really good job of getting a bunch of players the ball, including a defensive lineman, <laughs> that fridge yeah. package. We, you know, we talked about like, hey, what, what if they decide to, to pass it to Jalen Carter? Here's a tight end in high school, and they, they finally did it. That's uh, fun. You know, everybody loves when a, when a big dude scores a touchdown, although – I don't think Kirby was very happy when his other defensive lineman got a celebration penalty because they were rushing down the end zone to celebrate with him. Um, but, man, Stetson Bennett, let me, let me sing his praises for a second. He continues to be – Georgia fans, like, hear me right. He is better than Jake Fromm. Like, because of his mobility. How many sacks does Fromm take yesterday? Three, four? A few, yeah. And it's not like Fromm's arm is unbelievable. Fromm's really good at reading a defense. Stetson's had three years in this system. Like, I know it's a new system, but he's three years with these players. He's had to learn a lot, of, a lot of offenses because of running scout team. So one thing Stetson's done really well to this point is go through his progressions, which was Fromm's, like, strength. Fromm did not turn the ball over. Stetson been through three games, hasn't turned the ball over yet. So, I mean, if you're talking from strengths, Stetson's got that plus a little bit of mobility. That being well, said – to be fair, it was snapped over his head. That was a turnover. That was a, that was a Trey Hill I, turnover. I would have loved for Stetson to have fallen on that instead yes. of trying to pick it up and then bat it out of the end zone. Right. Anyways. So, but your point is – I understand your point largely. That being said, I wonder if later on – and it may come this week – is his inability to throw these pretty balls downfield um, going to, you know, going to catch up with him? Like, does Georgia need a JT Daniels to win a national championship? I don't know. To this point, the defense is good enough. Again, we haven't forgotten. Maybe people have forgotten. This is a brand-new offense. I really do think this offense is going to get better each game. Unfortunately for Georgia, your schedule is front-loaded. But if they can get out with one loss, like if they, you know, let's say they lose a close one to Bama and they can roll the rest of the way, and that offense can get figured out for a Bama rematch in Atlanta later on the season, I mean, you can get hot at the right time. So I wonder if and when Daniels is fully healthy. I know he's been cleared if he doesn't overtake Stetson. But, again, Kirby's shown if a guy is rolling and not turn the ball over, like he's got the team behind him, his teammates love him. These players love the mailman. As he's so, as he's called. Stetson's playing great. I don't want to take anything away from him. I, I just cautiously say, we'll just see the rest of the season. It's exciting to watch. It's a new offense. The running game from Georgia lit Tennessee up. So second week in a row with it, the running game had a great day. Um, yeah, they just dominated Tennessee again. Georgia played their B game and won by twenty three. So the the good news is for Georgia is that you. I mean, one by three touch, one by three scores with your B game. So a lot of coaching to do this week before Bama, and you just figured out that your B game is probably good enough to win nine games in your schedule. So uh, that's a that's a good problem to have. The defense is real. The defense is legit. I, I could I could sit here and talk for twenty minutes about how much fun it is as a football fan to watch this defense because we'll talk about it in a minute the lack of defense in the SEC this year 
is kind of unbelievable. I was going to use it as a transition, but you're reading my mind. Yeah, go for it. So, go for it. Yeah. I mean, the, the fact that this was, this is where we're going to stop talking about defense starting now. And we're going to start talking about the rest of the SEC, which when has that ever been a thing? Um, the, I guess the, the biggest game that I want to talk about, and I'm sure you do, is Alabama. Alabama oh, yeah. and Ole Miss, Lane Kiffin, I mean, he is not scared of Nick Saban, which I think is a it, – it permeates through his players. Like, his players weren't scared to play in that game, and that seemed obvious to me. They wanted the challenge of Alabama. Now – the people who say we want Alabama, you better want it because they're going to come. And Alabama still kept coming. And Alabama's Alabama, and they're going to win that game. I don't think I had a doubt that they were going to win that game even when they were down. Um, just because they've got players and they can keep coming in waves. But, I mean, offensively, I'm still surprised with what Ole Miss was able to do against that Alabama defense. Um, you know, I know that Alabama fans have called for Pete Golding to be gone or removed as defensive coordinator, but for years I just, you know, we heard that that defense um, was a uh, Nick Saban defense rather than, you know, whoever the defensive coordinator was, whether it was Kirby or Jeremy Pruitt or whoever. So, you know, it's one of these things. We'll have to see what happens uh, the rest of the way defensively for Alabama if this was a one-off that Ole Miss is great uh, on offense, then, hey, whatever. Or if this is a cause for concern and something to keep an eye on going forward. I don't think there's any questions about Alabama's offense, though. Oh, absolutely not. I think Alabama's offense is the best in the country. That being said, uh, I think Ole Miss might have a top-10 offense. I, I don't think that's a hot take at this no. point. Yeah, you're like, right. Ole Miss might be able to score on anybody. And that's what we said the first game was, hey, maybe Florida's defense isn't as bad. Maybe Ole Miss's offense just – Lane came in and had an immediate effect. And what jumps off the page to me is, like, you know, everyone's obsessed with, like, the air raid and the spread. And, like, you know, air raid concepts doesn't mean always throw the ball. Unless you're unless you're Mike Leach. Then it does mean always throw the ball. But, I mean, Ole Miss times. Ran, <laughs> that's right. Ole Miss ran the ball for 268 yards. Like – it's just this offense is built to get these playmakers in space. And so is Alabama's like, it's like Lane started this transition to Alabama to get their offense more spread out and to just get playmakers in space. Um, and he's brought that same offense to Ole Miss. It looked like the, you know, both offense were the same exact offense on both sides of the field. And it was just a, a track meet. And the, the funniest that I heard was, and it's really about Ole Miss's defense is Ole Miss's defense only prevented 41 yards on Saturday night. As in, if Alabama, when they got the ball, wherever they got the ball at, if they had scored a touchdown on every drive and you added up all those total yards, it would have been like 793. But Alabama actually had – or it was it, whatever, 723 is their total yards. Add 41 to that. That would have been their total possible yards gained. And they only gained 41 less than their possible yards gained. Is that not insane? So, I mean, to your point about defense, 63 to 48, this is the most yards ever ever gained in an SEC game. This is the most points ever gained in an SEC game. What is up with SEC defenses? And I will say that, you know, we'll, we'll 
we'll move on from this. I'm not going to talk about Mississippi State for very long. Um, but Mississippi State and Kentucky, Kentucky will have a word with the defense because Kentucky plays pretty good defense themselves. They but, do. Um, to have 70 passes and only score two points, um, of course, those were scored by the defense. So, you know, it's <laughs> my how the mighty have fallen after they started so great. And what do we really think of LSU now? But we don't, we don't have to talk about that if we don't want to. You know to. what? Do you, this box score is just amazing. Do you know what Kentucky's total yards was? What, 200? 157. What? And they won 24 to 2. <laughs> Mississippi State gained 295 yards. Uh, KJ Costello threw two interceptions, four interceptions, excuse me. And Will Rogers threw two more. So, I mean, uh, wow. yeah, that's just. Wow. They had six turnovers. Remember when they tweeted out that video of the, of the bandwagon after week one? It's basically yeah. the wagon is that Oklahoma Sooner wagon that's right. that fell over last year. That's the wagon. It's done. And how crazy – this is like an afterthought as we're talking about it. But LSU, if you might in a shootout. And, and, and they lose in the worst way possible. They got stopped at the goal line four times to seal the loss or seal the win for Missouri. Shout out to Eli Drinkwitz in Missouri. In Missouri, this could be the, the start of their, their offensive, you know, step forward uh, because they started the true freshman quarterback and he threw yep. four touchdowns. And, you know, it could be that – LSU is really not that good, but I mean, they've got athletes. So, hey, I'm interested to see how this offense in with Eli Drinkwitz evolves over the course of the year. Um, is this a theme that we watch the rest of the way now that they've made that change from Sean Robinson over to, I'll be honest, I forgot his name, but it's a true freshman. He's really good. So he played a great game. Last SEC game, Sam Pittman got robbed. Mm. He did. If you didn't watch, I mean, I do feel bad for the officials because the way the rule is, they, they got it right. But, you know, if you're an official, you've seen a spike happen a hundred times. You don't think not to blow it dead because it's a backward pass. But, you know, he picks it up, fumbles it, goes to spike it again, which if he had spiked it correctly, it's still intentional grounding. But he spiked it backwards, which makes it a fumble. And my thing is, an Arkansas player did recover it. But because other players had stopped, you know, there wasn't the immediate recovery or whatever. So yeah. Yeah, I saw a replay of the ref watching the video and basically like just shaking his head, like knowing that he missed it. Um, but, hey, San, you know, Arkansas, are they going to be sixth in the West instead of seventh? Are they going to be fifth in the West? Are they going to be fifth in the West? Are they going to oh, be LSU? I'm, I'm feeling at this point like yes. They're going to beat um, LSU. Or, uh, yeah, write that down. Right here first. <laughs> Put it down. That's it. They're beating LSU. Hey, but <laughs> the way they'll fight for Sam Pittman and just – they're going to be in every game. This is the thing. Arkansas, you have fun this year because you get to watch every game with a fighting chance. Your team's not going to quit. So, great job, Arkansas. Really sorry that you lost. You should have won. But you know what? You should have a fun year and – you've definitely got the right coaching staff in place. All right. Fun exercise. Here's Arkansas schedule. All right. Ole Miss, win or loss? I'll play defense. And is it next week? Next week. Okay. So the whole Bama effect of affecting you the following week, 
I'll say I'll say Arkansas wins. All right, I'll go Ole Miss. Bye week, and then at Texas A&M. Loss. Loss. At home against Tennessee. Ooh. Loss. Toss up. All right. At Florida. I said loss. <laughs> <laughs> at home against LSU. I like it. I like it. I like it too. At Mizzou, win? Maybe. Dub- we'll see how Mizzou is then. Dub Nash. Bama lost. Like, I'm counting like, like – I think they have a chance. One, two, three. Like at max, they win four more games. At max, well, I was gonna say, five I was going to say they have one win now. I could see them having four, four and six for the year and that being a really good year for Arkansas. Like, I'm I'll be three train. and seven. I think they win two more games. I think they win two of Ole Miss, Tennessee – LSU, Missouri. I think they win two of those four games. That's fair. Okay. All right. Uh, let's leave the SEC. Honestly, not a lot to talk about in the Big 12 other than Red River, which, again, how hilarious is it the Red River is an afterthought. But you and I, for a while, we felt real comfortable that, yeah, you know, Oklahoma's just just better and has been all game. And then iconic Texas quarterback <laughs> Sam Ellinger – once again, down 14, just like, all right, boys, let's – I know we could have done this a while ago, but let's go get it now. Uh, goes to overtime, Oklahoma wins. Texas needed this a lot more than Oklahoma did. This They actually got down 20 at one point, so that in and of itself was impressive that Texas came back. Uh, again, it's probably mostly Oklahoma's defense not being great. They had some situations where they actually looked pretty good, and early on it looked like the under might hit. But, yeah, the the fact that as a college football fan, I was happy to see this go to four overtimes just because why not? College football overtime is fantastic, especially with rivals and realizing, like, how much hate is going into each play. Um, I'm here for it. So that was great. But then – yeah, I, I'd pick Texas, so I was just hoping that they'd pull it out for the sheer fact that I picked them plus the two. But yeah, this was this was impressive, you know, an impressive game offensively for Rat, Spencer Rattler. Um, but you know, I don't know how much you know we can really you know glean from it and really understand this. Yeah, these two teams are. They're, they're both flawed teams. Um, you and I were just kind of, you know, off the record, kind of power ranking the Big 12, and neither one of these teams came up in our top three, which when has that ever happened, you know? Insane. Yeah. Like, so, what What if neither of them made the Big 12 championship? Which at this which point is, is it's it crazy. more likely that that's the case at this point. So, you know, I – it's <laughs> – but someone had to win this game. Oklahoma did. Maybe they turn over a new leaf. If Oklahoma goes eight and two this year, and you know, I guess nine and two because they had the um, the non conference game. And whether or not they go to the Big Twelve championship or not, you could look back at this year and say, "Oh, they just lost those two games. Not a big deal." And they could improve over the course of the season. But I don't know, man. This is it's tough to get a read on. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say Oklahoma wins out. Like, I just think they're going to win out. Like, they, they got a bye week this week 
coming at a nice time. They go two TCU, two Texas Tech, Kansas. I think it was the three wins. Oklahoma State, they own that rivalry. West Virginia, Baylor. Like, it gets easier from here. Again, the top three teams we listed in our Big 12 power rankings were Oklahoma State, Iowa State, Kansas State. Well, you already lost the two of those. <laughs> and then all you got is your rival, who is little brother in that rivalry. So, yeah, yeah I think Oklahoma State could just roll off eight wins, win the Big 12, but, again, not make the playoff. So, that's, like, kind of worst-case scenario for the Big 12 is Oklahoma just getting hot. <laughs> winning the Big 12. So, you know, I, I don't think Oklahoma's in as big as a hole as um, as they as they could have been had they lost this game, obviously. But Texas needed this one, man, and they needed it bad. So nothing really else from the Big 12. Another crazy week, man. And, and this week, of course, you got the game of the year this week with Alabama and Georgia. Number two versus number three. And you and I were talking about before we hit record, like, this is, I think, the number one offense in the country against the number one defense in the country. And you've got an average defense, it looks like, versus an an average offense at this point. So what happens when an unstoppable force meets an immovable object? We'll see on Saturday. The opening line opened up at five. So Vegas thinks the same thing. This is kind of an even matchup. Of course, Bama's at home, so a lean Bama there. But I thought that was an interesting opening line. Uh, last thing I'll say is the last four times these teams have met, they've been in the top four. Obviously, the uh, this time they're both they're number two and number three. Um, in the SEC championship in 2018, they were number two and three, I believe. And then in the national championship, they were three and four. And – even though they're playing for the championship because they're both the lower seed. And then 2012 SEC championship game, they were one and three, I believe. So just a crazy time. Um, anytime they get together re- in recent history, it's just seemed that uh, I say the last four times, there was a time in between that. We don't need to talk about it. So three of four of the last five times, but anyways. It'll be a fun game. Anyway, that's definitely going to be one of the games we talk about on Thursday with our picks pod. But that will do it for this edition of the Extra Point. Be sure to check out our Extra Point rankings, which are live on social media. Be sure to check those out. And we'll see you on Thursday. Yeah!